Welcome back to Long Covid Doctor, an educational series for sufferers of Long Covid. This is the second part on dysautonomia and Long Covid. In the first part, I talked about symptoms, the diagnosis and the investigations. In this part, part two, I'll talk about the treatments, management and outcomes. References, links and resources are in the show notes below. As I said before, any advice, diagnoses, treatments that I mention should only be considered after discussion with your own GP or qualified health professional. So here we go, part two of dysautonomia and long COVID. So what are the specific treatments for long COVID dysautonomia? As I explained in part one, there are so many causes for dysautonomia. It's impossible to, impossible to be certain what the main cause is. It may be something to do with the excess inflammation or autoimmunity or microclots or viral invasion. Some or all of those to varying, varying degrees. And so obviously one treatment or cure is not a realistic option. And so what it comes down to is finding ways to manage the symptoms, the symptoms of dysautonomia. And what are they? And how do we tackle them? So let's work through those symptoms. So the gut symptoms, um, colicky pains, um, in the, in the stomach, in the abdomen, bowel frequency, bloating, the sort of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome type symptoms. Antispasmodics, um, uh, are recommended for those type of, um, symptoms. So, mebeverin, otherwise known as colofac, or peppermint oil, colpamin, or antidiarrheal medications such as loperamide, imodium. So those those dysautonomic gut symptoms can be controlled with those medications. And then there's nausea due to dysautonomia. That can be controlled with cyclozine or ondansetron. Dizziness and vertigo, head spinning, can be helped considerably with prochlorperazine, otherwise known as stematil. Headaches due to um, dysautonomia can be helped with amitriptyline, or topiramate, or candesartan. Neuropathic pain, pain due to nerve, nerve pathways, nerve pain, um, can be helped with amitriptyline also, but there's also another drug called duloxetine, which is frequently used for neuropathic pain. And then you remember I was talking about um, disruption of the thermoregulatory centre um, that brings about flushing and sweating. Um, so it's not unreasonable to trial HRT. Uh, another uh, byproduct or side effect of, of dysautonomy is anxiety, worry, anxiety, stress, depression. Um, as a result of reduced production, um, increased turnover or reduced storage of serotonin, um, uh, as well as the limbic system dis disturbance. So for anxiety, depression, with those 
physical reasons behind them, um, the use of an SSRI is very helpful. So citalopram is probably the one that's most widely prescribed. Um, more on this on my talk on anxiety and depression in non-COVID. And then finally, there's sleep disturbance. Again, I've talked about how the pineal gland um, that secretes melatonin can be um, uh, affected by uh, long COVID in with with dysautonomia. So um, it's important to try and tackle sleep disturbance. And you can either use an old-fashioned antihistamine, pyridon, or amitriptyline for its sleep-enhancing effects, or melatonin itself, which is um, a supplement. Again, more on this on my talk on sleep disturbance in long COVID. So those are the ways we can treat the commonest symptoms of dysautonomia. But as I said, this isn't treating the underlying cause. They are only symptomatic treatments. Focusing now on the more specific features of dysautonomia, firstly POTS, and then secondly MCAS, or mast cell activation. You'll remember that there was this crossover of symptoms between dysautonomia and mast cell activation. Um, so first, firstly POTS, let's talk about that first of all. So POTS, positional orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, I've said that a number of times now, um, the non-pharmacological management of POTS, we always start that with the non-pharmacological. Um, so fluid, adequate fluid intake, sort of two to three litres per day. Um, salt, um, one level teaspoon of salt, six grams of salt a day. If that's not tolerated, you can get um, slow release sodium tablets. Um, dosage, two tablets, three times a day for 30 days maximum, but obviously care with um, patients who might have chronic kidney disease or and children and patients with raised blood pressure. And then leg compression, so class 2 long socks or preferably thigh length stockings um, to push the blood up into the circuit, back from the legs, back up into the circulation. Um, other measures such as eat small meals, why? So there's less blood in the gut bloodstream, the bloodstream that serves the gastrointestinal tract. Um, alcohol in moderation, why? Because, as we all know, you, alcohol is a vasodilator, it widens blood vessels, and a widened blood vessel will drop blood pressure. The heart then compensates by accelerating. So you get your palpitations that way. Um, so moderation of alcohol, but also moderation of caffeine intake. So just not, not excessive coffee drinking, please, because caffeine is a cardiac stimulator. Note also that obviously there's caffeine in tea, but half the, half the, um, the dose. So that's the sort of non-pharmacological, non-drug ways to manage POTS. What about the drug ways to manage POTS, the pharmacological ways? Well, the first line treatment is bisoprolol, which is a beta blocker. Um, some advocate um, 
propranolol. It's not, uh, in my view, um, not as good because it's less cardio-selective and so it's more likely to have um, side effects and sort of heavy legs and can lead to sort of um, bronchospasm or or asthma, triggering asthma. Basically, start low, go slow, start with 1.25 milligrams once daily, and then increase it slowly uh, according to the response. Basically, you might get away with a low dose, 1.25 milligrams, but most people need probably 2.5 once or twice a day um, as their dose for a beta blocker, bisoprolol, to control the palpitations and hence control POTS. If bisoprolol isn't tolerated or, or it's contraindicated or it's ineffective after four to six weeks trial, then the next drug for POTS is evabridine and 2.5 to 5 milligrams twice a day. This is a selective sinus node inhibitor. It slows the heart without reducing the blood pressure. Um, note that it is off-label. It's not uh, licensed for the treatment of POTS. So uh, I think most GPs seek the advice of cardiology rather than initiating it itself. So that's the first specific dysautonomic condition that we need to be treating. That's the POTS. Okay. Now onto the other specific dysautonomic condition, the MCAS or mast cell activation. Just as a reminder, MCAS is part of the excessive inflammatory response in long COVID, um, in which mast cells release their inflammatory chemicals, especially histamine. And so to deal with this, we need to prevent the mast cells releasing those chemicals from degranulating. We call it degranulating when they release their chemicals. Um, and the medicines to do this, to prevent that degranulation, are the H1 and H2 blockers in combination. H1 blockers, the antihistamines, so tyrosine, loratadine and fexofenadine are the ones that we use. They're second generation antihistamines, non-sedating antihistamines. Um, licensed for once a day treatment. Um, if there's no response or only very mild response, it's reasonable to double the dose. So take one tablet twice a day, um, but after about a week. Um, this is off label again. This isn't, they're, they're not licensed to be used um, in mast cell activation uh, in the long COVID setting. Uh, and so medical advice and supervision is needed from your GP, like I said before, if increasing doses are being considered. Continue the H1, the antihistamine, for three months and then stop it and see whether the symptoms return. If they do, obviously restart the tablet. If they don't return, then happy days. Your mast cell activation is quietening down. And has settled. The other drug which is used in tandem with the H1 blocker is are the H2 blockers, the anti-acid drug. Okay, the one used is famotidine, 20 milligrams once a day initially, and like my advice on increasing the doses with 
the antihistamine, increase to twice a day if tolerated after a week. But again, with medical advice and supervision. As I said, this is just a quick reminder of what MCAS is, mast cell activation. So if you want to know more, obviously, um, check out my talk on MCAS. So what else can we do to help uh, the recovery from dysautonomia and long COVID? It's, it's so important, and I always say this, is to take into account the whole person, the holistic view. We need to think about nutrition, sleep, and mind-body strategies. So nutrition, I've talked about the mixed balanced diet, the Mediter Mediterranean diet before, supplemented by fish oils and vitamin D. Sleep support, I've touched on that earlier. And mind-body strategies, meditative mindfulness, living in the moment, as they say. Uh, yoga for focus, breath work, and musculoskeletal conditioning. Both of these strategies have benefits backed out by lots of research studies. So worth a try. And so besides all that advice and recommendations, there are a few resources that are helpful specifically for POTS, but also for long COVID in general. I've listed them in the show notes below. And so there we are. The treatments and management of dysautonomia, both specifically and generally. And finally, um, what about the expected outcomes? I said I'd talk about that, didn't I? Um, the expected outcomes and the time course. These are the questions that patients frequently ask, and understandably. What are the outcomes? And how long will it take to get better? The answer is, well, well, it's not easy, it's unpredictable, and made more difficult with not being able to treat the underlying cause of their long COVID dysautonomia. And so it's a matter of waiting for natural healing to happen. The processes that take place to bring that recovery, and there are many of them, um, are sort of nerve fibre repair and regrowth. So those nerve pathways reconnect the process of neuroplasticity. The immune system will normalise sooner or later. It will quieten down. And so therefore, the inflammatory state will settle down. Mast cells will also settle down and stop being activated. So therefore, less um, inflammatory mediators circulating and kicking off immune response. And, and what goes hand in hand with that is with less inflammation, there's less, um, blood clot, mini, mini, mini microthrombi, um, microclot formation. And so those blood vessels that have been clotted off with the mini clots, the microclots will eventually clear um, by natural process of what's known as recanalization, but also new blood vessels are created around blockages where there's a blood clot, neovascularization it's called. And then there's, with everything else quietening down, there's sort of a rebalancing of the autonomic nervous system pathways that happens so that 
all those areas of the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, the enteric, the limbic system, HPA, all begin to settle down and, if you like, go back into sync and rebalance. And what about the time course? Again, the other question our patients ask us. Well, I'm afraid it's impossible to predict. Previously, we thought that long COVID lasted like 12, 18 months, and then it was all over and back to normal. But, you know, as the time's gone by, and, you know, this is now like three and a half years on now, um, uh, things are very different to what we originally thought. And, you know, basically there are still patients coming through, new cases coming through with long COVID. So, in a word, the time course, it's unpredictable. But meanwhile, we must hold on to the fact that improvement will occur. Okay, this is what we're seeing in our clinics. It's slow, but it does occur. People do go back to normal life. Um, and that occurs with natural recovery from long COVID and the rebalancing of those body systems that I've talked about, the inflammatory system, the immune system, the endocrine glandular system, and the nervous system, along with the natural tissue and cellular repair. But above all, uh, we need to give it time for all those natural healing processes to work. We need acceptance to accept it. We've been unlucky. You've got long COVID. We need to accept it and don't fight it. We need to give it time. So there we are. That concludes um, the part two of my my talk on dysautonomia and long COVID, following on from the first part earlier. I hope you found both of them helpful. As I mentioned at the start, any advice, diagnoses, treatments that I mention should only be considered after a discussion with your own GP or qualified health professional. So in the meantime, I wish you well. Uh, I wish you well in your long COVID recovery. Cheerio. Thank you.